on this episode of The Kinked Wire. IMIR is starting really to reflect the population that we serve, and that is very uplifting for me and a lot of the people in the URM section. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more at our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. In this episode, a special year-in-review look at 2022, interventional radiologists Keith Horton, Nishita Kathari, Roger Tomahama, and others join me, SIR Director of Publications Brian Hayes, to reflect on the top stories of the past year and look ahead to where IR and SIR should focus in 2023. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is our year in review episode for 2022. And it was a good year, I think, for both SIR and the community with the return to an in-person annual meeting for the first time since 2019. And society had some launch of new platforms. But it was a good year for the Kinked Wire itself. Across 26 new episodes that we published last year, We had more than 18,000 downloads from 85 different countries. Another big change that we had from the last year was our expansion from a single core host, Warren Krakoff, who has been our host from the very beginning and has just done a a wonderful job, to a pool of different hosts. Warren, as I mentioned, Sudan Desai, Barbara Nichol Hamilton, Keith Horton, Rex Pillai, Marty Ravani, Jamin Shaw, Roger Tomahama, and Nishida Kathari. And with us today are Drs. Horton, Tomahama, and Kathari. Thank you very much, all three of you, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you yes. for having us. It's our pleasure. Dr. Tomahama, you had an episode with Joel Rainwater about OBLs. Dr. Rainwater gave us his insight into his vast experience and knowledge base on opening uh, multiple OBLs in, I think, the Arizona or Southwest areas. Very helpful, I think, to anyone interested in wanting to start an OBL and then following in someone else's footpath that's already gone through the process. Even just for as a host, learning about how he accomplished what he did. Did you come away from that episode with ideas for your practice? Not me specifically, because I'm in an academic setting, uh, but I think it's definitely uh, valuable for anyone in thinking about doing that because we have a lot of trainees that are going out of practice now. Some of them are not doing the traditional joining a radiology group and covering IR services at the hospital. A couple of our recent graduates have decided to do something similar to what Dr. Rainwater is doing, uh, partnering up with you know different specialties or with an outpatient lab that's in, run by someone else and, and doing that type of IR, which is, is great. And I'm glad that you know we have Dr. Rainwater and other people like Mary Constantino to have sort of paved a pathway for a lot of the IRs in the future. I think it's a great thing that they did and that they can share their experiences. It was definitely a timely episode. Dr. Kathari, the episodes that uh, you've led and you've kind of brought to the podcast are a little bit different in that you have a panel of guests for the Owning Success series. You know, this all started when, you know, I was looking back at some of the mentors I've had in IR and in medicine generally, and some of the colleagues, right, sort of the coming of age of Alda, Nadine, Sarah, we all sort of grew up in IR, if you will, just around the same time. And you know, one day I realized that we just don't celebrate our successes as much as we should. It doesn't matter male or female. There are just times we just we all need to take a step back and sort of look at what we have achieved. 
And you know, around that time, the U.S. women's soccer team had some unbelievable victories. And one of the phrases I heard at that time was unapologetic excellence. That phrase rung so true to me. That that was I will be upfront and say that was where I stole the the phrase from from unapologetic excellence, and that's where the podcast series was born. And so we usually have a panel of three to four physicians. Two thirds of them tend to be women. Um, and again, I want to highlight some of the successes women in IR have had as the ex president of women in IR. And usually there's one male, somebody who's also supportive of women in IR. My hope is to highlight to our younger trainees that there are plenty of really good examples around and there are mentors they can seek out in this specialty, which unfortunately is still male dominated, but is quickly changing. So, you know, that's the thought behind the podcast. It's been great how you bring to the panels both IR luminaries and those outside of IR to share a really broad range of points of view. Dr. Horton, you sat in on the episode with Dr. Janice Newsom on postpartum hemorrhage. Yes, we were hoping to, to actually duplicate a lot of her efforts here. Now, I know she also stated that she had a little slow start in getting everybody on board, which is true for almost everything we do in this field. But we're trying to get our, for instance, GYNs involved in this postpartum hemorrhage and getting early detection, which is slowly getting there. And hopefully we'll be able to integrate it in the next year or so. So that was very helpful for us to listen to her. So another kind of big update that we made to the podcast in the past year is the addition of audio abstracts from each month's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. The abstracts are actually read by trainees. The first editor was Santa Furwald, followed by Daniel Kim, and we certainly thank both of them for all their efforts in keeping those audio abstracts rolling forward. One of the things that we like to do in these year-in-review episodes is to look back at the top stories of the prior year. Were there any big trial results that got anyone excited? I would say, you know, the best CLI trial results came out, which was a big deal because you know, it was a really big uh, undertaking by multiple societies. And I think that was a great thing about that trial. I'm actually very to vascular surgeon, so it's actually a very big topic in our household sometimes. But I think it really shows the power of collaboration with multiple specialties, especially in um, dealing with multidisciplinary type of problems. And I think this was a great example of collaboration and that success that we can move forward with great results with when we work together. Every meeting I've gone to, the waterfall plot for the legacy trial for HCC has been shown. It's just amazing. Literally every meeting, that slide is on there. And it's kudos to Riyadh for the excitement his data has produced for Y90 and HCC. As the outgoing chair of the URM section, it was good to see my uh, brother Herschel McGinnis and some of the topics that he discussed. And I know in our upcoming IR quarterly, there's a there's basically a, a whole issue devoted to disparities in medicine. But I also noticed that he generated a lot of discussion on SIR Connect from some of the topics that he discussed. And it's good to see that most of the comments were very positive, which gives a lot of credit to a lot of the people in the SIR and that they understand the need for diversity in medicine. In addition, you know, I'm involved with the GEMS program. 
and then this was the first year we were able to have this in-person meeting where we had a lot of the gym students available and we had a actual luncheon which was well attended actually it was overflow and the fact that these gym students are able to meet each other in person it's starting a great cohort of youth that will hopefully grow up in IR together which is something being in SIR for 30 years seeing the transition of IMIR is starting really to reflect the population that we serve and that is very uplifting for me and a lot of the people in the URM section. At the end of this episode, I'll be sharing some of the top IR quarterly articles of the year. And one of them was Dr. McGinnis's article on imposter syndrome. So thank you for uh, mentioning him and his contributions as well. I did reach out to a number of our leaders for their thoughts on the top stories of the year and their thoughts on where they think IR should focus in 2023. So let's listen in. My name is Sidan Lesai. I'm a pediatric interventional radiologist in Phoenix, Arizona. I really think SIR is defined in 2022 as working well to integrate itself into the ongoing events of the world around us. I think seeing the changes in healthcare and society at large, the SIR has worked well to follow some of those patterns and trends that are important to its members. I do think that the society can do more, perhaps in a multidisciplinary society fashion, to work on things that other healthcare practitioners are receiving and accomplishing. Primarily, this focuses around wage growth and increase to mirror the broader success of society in general. We're seeing this on the nursing front, ancillary healthcare providers, but not on the physician side. And so I hope in 23, our society pays more credence to bolstering and ultimately increasing the reimbursements of their members. Hi, this is Ron Gaba. I'm a professor of radiology and practicing interventional radiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I'm also a deputy editor for the Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. I'd like to highlight a positive accomplishment for the JVIR, which was the launch of the Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology Resident Editorial Fellowship aimed to provide an immersive editorial experience for trainees who are interested in academic publishing and hopefully provides them with knowledge and skills to accelerate their academic success in this area. As far as 2023 New Year's resolutions for interventional radiology, it's that the field continue to embrace our longstanding dedication to engagement and education of medical students and resident trainees, hopefully to maintain a full funnel of future IRs who can serve as our next generation of colleagues and leaders. Hi, my name is Barbara Hamilton, and I'm an interventional radiologist in Southern California in the Palm Springs area. I think the biggest story of 2022 was the legislation in the state of Rhode Island in which it became the first state to pass a bill in June ensuring coverage for all uterine fibroid treatment options, including fibroid embolization. I was a resident in Rhode Island for four years at Brown. I remember various attendings talking about having to get pre-authorization and sometimes what a headache it was just to get this procedure covered, which clearly was helping patients. So this is really an amazing piece of legislation that got passed. IR as a specialty, our New Year's resolution should be to take really good care of ourselves. I keep hearing about the radiologist shortage around the country and the fact that we are getting burnt out at high rates. And so I just think that as a workforce, we really need to take care of ourselves first before we can take care of anyone else. My name is Shams Iqbal. I work at Mass General Hospital in Boston as an interventional radiologist. 
From my perspective, the biggest thing which happened to IR in 2022 was the reconvening of all the people in Boston for the in-person SIR. We really needed to see each other and meet people, meet our friends and colleagues and everyone. And it was a, a big deal, but we pulled it off and it was a huge success. In the forthcoming year, I wish all of you good luck because a lot is changing as we are famous for devising new techniques, new treatments. We'll all be working on that, but a little bit of focus on the payment system because there has been constant strain on the payment system for IR and we have to figure out a way by which we can prove our value and fight for ourselves to ensure that we are paid for the good work we do with high quality and low cost help to the patients. See you all at Phoenix this year. Hi, this is Dan C., the editor-in-chief of JVIR. I think the main thing that we saw in 2022 for JVIR as well as for the rest of the world is that we're finally climbing out of the COVID-19 lockdown. What we saw at the beginning of the lockdown in 2020 was a lot of submissions to JVIR, record numbers, I think because people were locked down and finally finished up those projects that had been on the back burner for months or years. But in 2021 and 2022, we saw a decrease in the number of submissions. By the end of 2022, though, that curve is going back up. So we're seeing more productivity from people submitting articles to JVIR. The quality of the submissions has been steadily climbing. So I think looking forward to 2023, I'm optimistic that the trend of not only the number of submissions will continue to go up. I think people are back to their labs, back to their hospitals, resuming the good work that they had been uh, interrupted from doing over the past few years. So I think things are looking up. Hi, I'm Keith Hume. I'm the executive director of SIR. As with any year in healthcare, 2022 was very busy. Organizationally, it was exciting to finally bring our members together for in-person meetings for the first time since 2019. It was also exciting that the members approved SIR's new governance structure. This new structure reflects the increasing diversity of how our members practice and will help ensure SIR as an organization is focused on the most pressing immediate items and issues facing the specialty and also helps us plan for the future. SIR as an organization needs to continue working hard to ensure our members are positioned to be successful as interventional radiologists. We definitely need to focus on reforming the broken Medicare physician payment system and providing and developing practice building resources through the SIR Business Center that we launched last year. So we've thanked our hosts, but we certainly want to thank all of our guests for their time and the stories and perspectives they've shared in the past year as well, including Riyadh Salem, Nadine Abishude, Jim Beninati, Laura King, Fred T. Lee Jr., Sarah White, Laura Findice, Jim Spees, Alda Tam, Matt Johnson, Raj Shah, Janice Newsom, Nikki Keefe, Gloria Salazar, Camille Bella Wilkinson, Marty Ridvani, Joel Rainwater, and Joji Vatican So it was a really great lineup this year. Last but not least, we also want to thank all of our listeners. You make the show work, and our 2022 corporate supporters, Boston Scientific and Penumbra. As much as we've been talking about the past year, we're looking forward to continuing to bring the kinked wire to the community in the coming year. And of course, the other big thing coming up very soon that we have to look forward to is the SIR 2023 Annual Scientist Meeting 
March 4 to 9 in Phoenix, Arizona. Looking forward to it. It's always like the preview site for what we're going to see down the road in the next three to five years, I feel. I would have to second that, you know, actually going through the exhibits, getting hands-on experience with some of the new items that you may not have had a chance to play with in your own uh, environment and actually interacting with a lot of the physicians and getting ideas about what's going on out there. It's, it's always very helpful. There's certainly plenty to look forward to at Phoenix and beyond. So again, I thank Dr. Tomahama and Dr. Horton and Dr. Kathari for joining me in the virtual studio and all the hosts for your ongoing support of the podcast. And as always, if anybody in the community has any thoughts or ideas for us or comments on how we're doing, please drop us a line at kinkedwire at surweb.org. In the meantime, thank you for joining us today. And I look forward to talking with you again in the months ahead. Next in our 2022 year in review, we share audio excerpts from the top three IR quarterly articles from the past year on imposter syndrome, Stanford's efficient workflow model, and one IR's experience working for a vascular surgery group. First, an excerpt from Identifying the Imposter Within, What is Imposter Syndrome? by Herschel Dean McInnes, MD, originally published in the winter 2022 issue of IR Quarterly. The SIR annual scientific meeting used to be a lonely week for me. While I was surrounded by peers, I felt isolated from the group. On lucky days, I'd run into a colleague from training, and we'd catch up for a few minutes. But during these conversations, I often felt I had little to show for all my once great potential and years of grinding post-fellowship work. I would often wonder how I had gotten so lost in my career. Despite my accomplishments, I sometimes felt like I wasn't a prime-time IR. In a conversation with Dan Z, editor-in-chief of the Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology, he asked me, do you have imposter syndrome? I'd never heard of it and thought he'd invented it as a foil to challenge some of my self-deprecating comments. Later in the week, I saw an article on imposter syndrome featured in a prominent medical journal. After reading the article, I realized I had a pernicious, toxic, and perhaps end-stage case of imposter syndrome. For the first time, I glimpsed the imposter within myself, and better understood the dynamics behind the problematic trajectory of my career. I realized imposter syndrome had robbed me of some professional and personal opportunities and kept me mired in unsatisfying situations. What I have since discovered is that imposter syndrome is a pervasive phenomenon that cuts broadly throughout society and impacts professional fields, especially medicine. Part 1. What is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon and imposterism, is a psychological term first used in 1978 to describe a range of behaviors, feelings, and attitudes rooted in a sense of unworthiness that affects an individual's emotional well-being and professional functioning. Psychologists Pauline Rose Clance, Ph.D., and Suzanne Imes, Ph.D., describe it as the feeling of phoniness in people who believe that they are not intelligent capable, or creative, despite evidence of high achievement. Those affected are often very accomplished, but hold internal doubts about their abilities and professional legitimacy, and fear being exposed as fraudulent. Once imposter syndrome is activated, it can perpetuate a self-reinforcing cycle. This dynamic may produce feelings of excessive anxiety, poor self-esteem, self-doubt, 
frustration, and depression. Those affected may attribute their accomplishments to luck or happenstance rather than earned merit, and may wonder if they have fooled others into believing they are authentically competent. That was an excerpt from Identifying the Imposter Within by Herschel Lee McInnes, M.D. You can find the full version of this article on irq.surweb.org. Our next excerpt is an interview from the Spring 2022 IRQ supplement, Keys to Collaboration, titled, Working for a Vascular Surgery Group, How One IR Built a Unique Practice Model. William Neham, MD, is an interventional radiologist employed by Horizon Vascular Specialists in Maryland, a vascular surgery group in which Dr. Neham is the only IR. It's an unusual collaboration, but one that offers its own unique opportunities. IR Quarterly spoke with Dr. Neham about his practice, his colleagues, and the tools necessary for collaboration. I finished my IR fellowship in 2014 and joined a community-based radiology practice, and it was not what I was expecting. An interesting thing about IR training is that many of the things you do in your fellowship are very different from the realities of actual private practice, where many of us end up. You often don't have a clinic, you don't have mid-level support, and you're not doing many high-level procedures. Shortly after joining my radiology group, I realized their business model was far more based on DR work. I wanted to do cancer programs and to offer specific IR therapies, and while my group is vocally supportive, there was a strong push for me to do diagnostic radiology. As a result, I wasn't very satisfied with the situation. During this time, however, I met some of the vascular surgeons who shared the catheter lab at the hospital. One of them was very progressive and aware that certain aspects of his vascular practice may take a hit in the future, so he was looking to expand his services. As we got to know each other better, he began to understand more about what IR is and what can be brought out of the hospital into a different setting. The vascular surgeons were aware that my group didn't afford the IR-focused work I'd anticipated, and so the vascular practice offered me those opportunities. Since they are a surgical practice, they already had the offices, staff, and mid-level providers. I joined them six years ago and am now able to practice 100% clinical IR. At first, some of my vascular colleagues were hesitant because it was an unknown model. We all agreed that it was a trial, and they knew it was a huge risk for me. I could have stayed at my DR practice for guaranteed salary and service. Even my mentors were divided on whether it was a good idea and said they wouldn't have done it, especially not a year out of fellowship. But I viewed it as an opportunity because I wasn't set in my practice type. I had the ability to take a risk but still move on if it didn't work out. Someone who is more established in their practice may be unwilling to take that kind of risk. Starting out, I brought everything I could from the hospital to the outpatient setting. We have an office-based laboratory, so I was doing biopsies, women's health, pelvic congestion, etc., just trying to figure out what would work. Over the years, I've whittled it down to what we do best. I don't do biopsies anymore, for example, because oncologists use the staff at their own hospital, so it didn't make sense for the patient. At first, I found my patients by doing a lot of marketing. To promote uterine artery embolization, I used to have lunches with every obstetric group in two counties to build relationships. In addition, although I was only at the hospital for a year, 
I did have relationships with some oncologists that I was able to leverage by showing them how I could provide better service for their patients in an outpatient setting. Now I've been in the area long enough to have a reputation and gain patients via word of mouth and referrals from previous patients. That was an excerpt from Working for a Vascular Surgery Group, How One IR Built a Unique Practice Model, which originally appeared in the Spring 2022 IRQ supplement, Keys to Collaboration. You can find the full article on irq.sorweb.org. Our final excerpt is from the Fall 2022 IRQ article, 9 to 5 IR, How Stanford's New Workflow Structure Improves Efficiency and Prevents Delays, by Melanie Paget powers To address physician and staff burnout, a Stanford interventional radiology practice made several workflow changes that improved efficiency, allowing IRs to head home on time at the end of their workday. Quote, The burnout rate among physicians is high, approaching 40%, and IRs are not immune, said Nishida Kathari, MDFSIR, professor in Stanford School of Medicine's IR department, which implemented the changes. IR Division Chief Lawrence V. Rusty Hoffman, MD, FSIR, said burnout and wellness have always been his guiding leadership principles. Quote, I have been chief at Stanford for 16 years, and none of the 10 faculty members I've hired has left, he said. I think wellness and burnout need to be top of mind, almost daily, to ensure that you take care of physicians so they can take care of themselves, their families, and their patients. But maintaining a work-life balance in IR practice can be a challenge because practices often perform the scheduled outpatient procedures and then address inpatient emergencies toward the end of the workday. This frequently causes physicians and support staff to work later than planned, Dr. Kathari explained. The Stanford IR team wanted to find a better way. So, in fall 2019, the department implemented several changes. First, the team separated procedural rooms for the inpatient population and the scheduled outpatients, which was essential, Dr. Kathari said. One room, close to the intensive care units, was reserved for inpatients, so they would not have to wait to be squeezed in at the end of the day. Quote, IR typically has four to six add-on cases every day, so this room is well utilized, Dr. Kathari said. The on-call IR was now designated to handle inpatient calls, while the other IRs on service focused on scheduled outpatient procedures. This meant each IR went on call every 10 days, rather than knowing they might work late on any given day. That was an excerpt from 9 to 5 IR. You can find the full version of all these articles, podcast episodes, SIR annual meeting coverage, and much more at our new website, irq.surweb.org. That concludes our 2022 year in review. We thank all those who contributed and you for listening to the King Choir. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, drop us a line at kingchoir at serva.org.